You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Amen. So wonderful to be able to worship with people all over the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and so grateful to be a part of this global spiritual family. So good morning in Focus Church. It's actually my first Sunday live up here in the new year, and uh, so excited. Had an amazing time last weekend, so appreciate Pastor Justin Gray being here with us. But it's good to be with you today. Those of you who are watching online, those of you who are here with us, uh, gathered together in this place, maybe for the first time. Uh, Regardless, we are grateful to be able to worship Jesus together. I'm wondering how many of you took the opportunity over this past week, as we've been hearing about, Pastor Keevan mentioned, Pastor Steve Merle, who is the president of our Every Nation Churches Worldwide, to participate in the week of prayer and fasting and consecration. And you could be like me, it's like the prayer part, okay, I'm good with, and the consecration, it's the fasting that I have the most difficulty with, as we all do. That's the reason why we do it, actually. But we start off every year with this special and important time, joining with our Every Nation family worldwide, and making an effort just to consecrate ourselves for the upcoming year. So I hope you made an effort to be a part of that in some shape or fashion because I can't think of a a better way to start off a year and I really can't think of a, a more important thing to do right now in the life of the church worldwide, but particularly in America and the things that we've been through in the last year, the things that we've been through in the last few weeks, I cannot think of a better way to start off a year in a more appropriate time, maybe in my lifetime, to fast and to pray and to consecrate myself before the Lord and as a church. We used a great resource. We had a book that we were using. We also had an app that Every Nation put out that we were using. We also had a version plan that many of you joined together with us. And I loved watching the comments from people that were making comments and reading what God was showing you each and every morning. And on top of that, we met here every single night from 7 to 8 p.m. for a time of prayer. Now, whether or not you are part of some of that, all of that, a few nights, or whatever the case may be, I know this. I know what the Word tells me in Hebrews eleven six. 6. So let me remind you of this. And without faith, it says it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who what? Earnestly, diligently seek him. See, our part is to do the earnest and the diligent seeking. Our part is to do the earnest and the diligent seeking in prayer and in fasting and in worship and in gathering together as the body of Christ and in doing all of these things that we know and we read about in his word and listening to the preaching of the word and we make his name great as we diminish in our own eyes and then we exalt Jesus in our eyes to say, as we said this week, that he is awesome, he's transcendent he is unchanging he is sovereign he is just he is long-suffering he is kind and he is good this is the type of awesome God that we serve but as someone has already mentioned this morning it's hard to know that unless you spend time getting to know him 
It's hard to declare that. We can say that, but do we know that and believe that? And the way that we know that and believe that more is by earnestly seeking him. So those are just some of the attributes of God that we've been covering, that we covered this week in these daily devotions, that we covered in our times of nightly prayer, that we covered uh, so far. We've covered some of these in this series, and we're in week three of the series, Awesome God. We're going to look at more of these attributes of our God, who is awesome, in fact, a word that has kind of lost some of its meaning as we've used it to describe a sandwich or anything else in this world, but yet it truly describes God. So this morning in week three, we're going to be looking at the attribute of God as compassionate. He is compassionate. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is full of compassion? And in case maybe you don't understand the breadth of what that means, let me give you a definition of compassion this morning. And it's this, it's suffering with another. Painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow motivated by the distress or misfortunes of another. Pity, commiseration. And then Psalm 116, 5, just so we can understand that God does this with us, says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of what? Compassion. He's full of compassion. It actually is mind-boggling to me that God suffers with us, that he has painful sympathy for us, that there's a sensation that he went through as Jesus, the Son of God, of sorrow that was motivated by his own distress and his own misfortunes so that he could what? Have compassion on you, compassion on me. This is an amazing aspect of God's nature, which is reflected in his sympathetic understanding of human weakness. And how does he know? Because he became like us in Jesus Christ. And then not only in his sympathetic understanding of our weakness, but here's the greater part of God's compassion. It is also that he is able to restore those who are in trouble. He's able to bring restoration to those who need it. And this is what makes God's compassion so much different than mine. It's so much different and better than anybody else's. Not only does he see us where we are, but he has compassion on us. He is also able to help us and restore us. If you're taking notes, maybe you can write it down and, or think about it this way. God sees when no one else does, and God does what no one else can. God sees you when no one else does, and he does what no one else can. That's the awesome God that we serve today. And one of the things that God does that no one else can that we're going to explore a little bit more today is he brings redemption in the midst of suffering. That's something that nobody else can do. But our God can. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to read from our text today, which is found in Genesis 16, 1 through 16. So if you have your Bible or you're with us online, maybe you have it near you, you can get there and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Now I'm going to read this story. And you all, as like me, know the story of Abraham and Sarah. But before they became Abraham and Sarah, they were Abram and Sarai. And I, and I, I don't know like you, but when I read that name, it's so weird that I say it. And it's like, I want to say Sarah, but actually that's not her name yet in this text. So when you hear that, I'm just going ahead and say it. That's what I, I know how to say Sarah. I know how to pronounce that. But this is her name before that, okay? So just making that clear. Because even as I read this, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to call her Sarah the whole time. But I'm going to do my best to call her as she is here in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. In case anybody ever wondered if the Bible is like G or PG-13, this ought to tell you right here. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Let me just stop right here. I mean, this is one of those points like, well, where did you think this was going to go? Like, how did you think this was going to play out? And yet, if we're honest, all of us have these things in our lives where we make these ridiculous decisions, and at the end, there's somebody usually there who's like, well, how did you think this was going to turn out? What did you think this was going to get? And she is in that situation that we find ourselves in sometimes, doing something and not actually thinking through how it's going to turn out. Continuing on, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power to do, her, do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, Hagar, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bear Lahoy Roy, which actually means the well of the living one who sees me. And it lies between Kadesh and Bered. So this is just another chapter in the Netflix original movie called The Story of Abram. I mean, that's what it really sounds like if you get down to it, right? This is Abraham's story, and he's had a long story already, and I don't have time to go into where all of the things he's already been through, but he's already had these moments where he's doubted God, and he and Sarah have doubted what God's going to do. There was earlier time where he was like, hey, let's, don't, let's pretend that you're not my wife and you're my sister. Why? Because he was saying, look, I don't want to do this, and I don't think God's going to come through like he said, so let's take matters into our own hands. So this isn't like the first time that they have not trusted God. God's faithfulness to them but here we are again and Abram and Abraham and Sarah are acting in ways that suggest they do not fully trust God to fulfill his promise to them and in many ways this is a story of Abraham and Sarah's unfaithfulness to God and God's continued faithfulness not only to Abraham and Sarah but also to Hagar a slave woman who is the victim of Abraham and Sarah's unfaithfulness 
See, in this story, we see God continuing to work in and through his covenant people. And we're good with that. We're down with that. We understand that. God's made a covenant and he's going to continue to be faithful to his covenant. What we have a problem with a lot of times, maybe if you grew up in the church, my wife and I were talking about this earlier this week, the religiosity in us has a problem with what actually goes beyond that. And that's the fact that God unexpectedly blessed those, someone who is on the margins and outside the covenant. Well, wait a minute now. I get it when you bless somebody in the covenant. I get it when you bless somebody because they're doing right. I get it when you bless somebody because they've got all their ducks in a row and they look like they've got it all together. But I don't understand how you could bless somebody who is outside the covenant and isn't one of, quote unquote, your people. So this story is about the consequences of not trusting God, but it is also about how God brings redemption out of our sinful choices. And all of us should be glad about that. See, let's start by talking about our lack of trust in God. This again is nothing new for humanity. Since Adam and Eve first doubted the goodness of God and took matters into their own hands and decided to do things their way, this is something that we have all been battling with in our own lives since then. And that is doubting the trustworthiness of God, doubting the faithfulness of God. And that battle is constant. If you're like me, and I believe that you are in this, that battle is constant. One minute you're full of faith, and the next minute you're wondering if God even knows that you exist. One minute you're ready to take the mountain and the victory with God, and the next minute you're doubting whether or not you're a believer or not. And this is the battle that we go through as humans. In our story we just read, we see Sarah doing what we all do when we don't believe God is doing what he said he would do fast enough for us. We take matters into our own hands. I'm sure you've all been in a situation, maybe some of you are in that situation right now, where you feel or felt like God was not moving fast enough for your liking. I'll just go ahead and go out on a limb and say that all of us have been there. Some of you are in that moment right this second where you're just like, this is not moving as fast as I think that it should. So what is our default response when God's timing doesn't match up with our timing? What is our default response when God doesn't come through like we hoped and prayed that he would exactly when we thought that he would? And it could be marriage, like you could be single. It could be a, a career that you're looking for and trying to get into. It could be something that you've been praying about. It could be something physical or, or emotional and you feel like you've been praying about it for years and years and nothing's really changed. Or it could just be something where you're uncomfortable. God's trying to do something in your life and you're wondering how long you're going to have to be uncomfortable comfortable but at some point a lot of us will come to the same conclusion that Adam and Eve and Abram and Sarah did and you decide to help God out and just do it yourself a DIY that goes really bad as some of our DIYs actually do sometimes in Sarah's case, she decided to take control and try to bring about the desired outcome of descendants for her and Abram in her own strength, in her own way. And this is a perfect example of how when we don't trust God and we end up wrestling with him and taking control out of his hands as if, if we really could and we, begot, we decide and begin to do things in our own strength, it, it shows us what that turns out like. Maybe we marry somebody just because we're tired of being single and so we settle. 
well, they're, they're good enough. Or maybe we decide that, you know what, I'm tired for working for this person. And, and you know what, I think I'll just start my own business. Not because God said to start our own business, but just because you don't want to work for anybody else. Or maybe it has something to do with your relationships and you walk away from them and dispose of them instead of doing the emotionally hard work of responding biblically because it's uncomfortable. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. She's no longer trusting in God's promise. She's no longer trusting God to come through his plan that he's in control. So she takes control herself. She says, perhaps I can build a family through her. Perhaps I can do this. Go sleep with her. God's not doing what he said he was going to do. Go ahead. Notice something important. When we get desperate to control something that we cannot control, we do things that we would never otherwise do. I mean, this is historical as much as it is biblical. When we get desperate to control something that we cannot control, we do things that we should never do. It's not like, well, let me just keep trusting God. Check this out. Desperation for anything other than God produces decisions that never end up honoring God. Understand this, God is never desperate. That's why his plans are always perfect. I'm often desperate. That's why my plans are often imperfect. But if I'm desperate for God, instead of that thing or that situation that I want to work on or get out of or change, then all of a sudden I can begin to walk in God's perfect will for my life because of my desperation for him, not for this or that to change or to be different. But God will change me. So what did Abram do? He was appalled at what Sarai was suggesting. And he said, no, we will trust in the promise of our faithful God. And I will not sleep with your maidservant. That's actually not how he replied at all. I mean, that's how we would hope that he would reply. That's what we think would come out here in the Bible from someone like Abraham. I'm not sure how he replied, but this is one of those moments. I don't know if you ever read the Bible. You say, man, I wish I could have just seen this goat. I just would have, I wanted to, what, what is his reaction like? I'd like for you to go sleep with my maidservant. I just wonder what he did. What was his face like? What kind of expression? We don't know, but we know that he agreed to it. We know that he said, okay, side note, you can always find someone who will agree with your terrible idea and your jacked up plan if you look long enough. I mean, it's true. Building a consensus with people who agree with you is easier than listening to and obeying God when he disagrees with you. God made a promise. God's timing was not cooperating with Sarah and Abraham. So they became desperate. They stopped trusting in the faithfulness of God. They took control of their own lives and it went really bad. When God's timing is not lining up with your timing, don't become more desperate for the thing you want. Become more desperate for the one that you need. Some of you are so desperate for the thing that you want, you have completely stopped trusting and having desperation for the one that you need. 
the one who fulfills every longing of your heart, the one who helps make every decision in such a way that is honoring to God and brings glory to his name. I want to remind you today that God is trustworthy. He always comes through. He's always in control. Do not make a desperate decision. Trust in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But there's more to this story than a cautionary tale of not trusting God and trying to fulfill God's purposes in our own strength. So I wanna cover a few other things in our remaining time this morning that we can learn from this passage of scripture. First, I think that this is a reminder, this whole story of the inherent nature of humanity. We live in a world and a culture that tries to tell us that people are inherently good, but this story, like all in the Bible, illustrate the sinfulness and the unfaithfulness in humanity. In just one story in the Bible, we see unbelief, unfaithfulness, sexual exploitation, marital strife, jealousy, covetousness, and abuse. And this story is a profound reminder of the depravity of humanity. And the reason that this matters is because it is an inherently understanding for us that if we believe that we are inherently good, then we do not need the good news of the gospel that says that we are inherently depraved sinful, in need of a savior. If my starting point is, well, we're all pretty much good, then why do I need the good news of the gospel? It also helps define a lot of the things that go around us in our culture, in our world. I'm not surprised by all the things that are happening around us. I'm not surprised by the things that are going on in the news. I'm not surprised by the things that have happened that we are in shock and awe about, that we read about. Why? Because I understand what we're like apart from Jesus. I'm surprised that people are surprised. I'm, I'm in shock that people think that we're not capable of doing the things that we do. Now I want to take... This next moment to cover the revelation and the insight into the character of God that we see in this story, our awesome God. Verse 8 says, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. I want you to notice something. She doesn't say where she's going because she has no idea where she's going. Have you ever been there? Like, like you leave whatever it is that you want to leave and you want to get away from and that, that it's uncomfortable and that it's painful and, and uh, abusive or whatever the case may be and you leave, but you have no idea where you're going. She doesn't know. Where's she going to go? She has nowhere to go. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now, why would God send her back into an abusive situation? Not to be abused, but because he had a redemptive purpose for Hagar and everybody else in this story. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant, shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now watch Hagar's response. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing or El Roy. And she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Here's where we see a new name for God. This is where we begin to see the character of our awesome God. As she describes him as El Roy, the God who sees and reminds us of this. No matter where we are, no matter what we've been through, no matter what you may have been a victim of, no matter how desperate your situation may be, even when we don't know where we are, even when we have no idea where we're going, which is the epitome of being lost, God sees you. 
God sees you when nobody else does. He sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. And I hope that encourages you today, no matter where you find yourself, that God sees you when no one else does. He sees the unseen. And if you feel that way, unseen in every way by everyone else, I want you to know this. God sees you. God is with you. He cares about you. And he loves you. On top of that, as you're going to see in just a second, the good news of the gospel is he has a redemptive purpose for your life. He doesn't just see you. He has something for you because God doesn't just see when no one else sees. He does what no one else does. There's something very important to notice. Not only did God see Hagar, but Hagar saw God. Truly, she said, I've seen him who looks after me. I mean, let's be honest. Being seen is amazing. If it wasn't, we wouldn't spend all of our time trying to be seen. Right? It's, it's an amazing thing to be seen, to be noticed. It's what we're all desperately going after. It's what we're searching for in all of our social media posts. It's what we're searching for in all of the things that we do and we act out, the way that we dress, the way that we talk, the careers that we go after, the way we spend our lives trying to be seen by somebody or everybody or anybody. We spend our lives trying to be seen, but there's something eternally important for us beyond just being seen. And here's what it is. We must see. We must see. Actually, we have to see someone. We need to see the God who sees us. See, being seen is amazing, but seeing is actually miraculous. What do I mean? I mean, being seen by God is amazing. It's mind-boggling. It actually is something that I really can't wrap my mind around, that every single one of us, every person all over the planet, God sees us where we are, what we're going through, what we're in the middle of. He sees us at all times, and it brings us great joy to know that he sees us, and he cares about us, and that he loves us, and nothing that we do can separate us from that fact. But seeing him for who he truly is, well, that's a miracle of grace. That's a miracle of grace that we would actually see God. John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not may see may see, and those who see may become blind. What is he saying? Those who think they can do it in their own strength, those that think they've got it all figured out, those that think they don't need me, that think they already see, those will be blind. But those who actually have their eyes open to who I am, the blind, the lost, they will see. When Jesus appeared to Saul and he commissioned him to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel in Acts 26, here's what he said in verse 18. I want you to go to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Open the eyes of my heart, Jesus, so I can see you. That's a prayer that we all should have because when we see God for who he truly is, when we see Jesus face to face, we cannot help but be changed by his amazing grace. This is what Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which you has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I'm not talking about physical seeing here, 
But eyes of faith and eyes of belief. And in our story, as Hagar sees the Lord, she sees a God who is compassionate. One who is compassionate on the marginalized and the forgotten. Because Hagar is someone who felt forgotten. Someone who felt unseen. And maybe you feel that way today. Like you're forgotten. You're unseen. That nobody cares. And that could be the situation that you find yourself in today. But much to her surprise, and I hope it is to yours today as well, God not only saw her, God not only sees you, but he is called you just like he gave her a purpose a redemptive purpose for her life and God has a redemptive purpose for your life and this is the reason why this story is so important to the entirety of the narrative of scripture it gives us a pattern for understanding how God Elroy the God who sees every one of us relates to people what on the margins the forgotten the weak even those that are outside of the covenant, the lost, and the hurting. And he responds to all of them with what? Compassion. Compassion. I'm so thankful that when I was outside of the covenant of God, when I was lost, when I was hurting, when I didn't know where I had come from or where I was going, that God saw me and opened my eyes so that I could see him. He called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and he saved me. And there are plenty more in this world and in this community and around this church that God wants to save. Plenty more that we may not see, but he sees them. We may miss them. We may overlook them, but God does not because he's a God of compassion who sees all who are in need, and all that he sees are in need. He also has a redemptive purpose for their life. If God seeing us and having compassion on us were not enough, what we see in Hagar is that God had a redemptive purpose for her because why? God sees what no one else does and God does what no one else can. That's the awesome God, the God who sees that we serve today, a God of compassion. And one of the things God does that nobody else can, as I said a moment ago, is God brings redemption in the midst of suffering. Man, I'm so thankful for that. I don't know what you may be going through or I have a good idea of what we all are collectively going through. I have a good idea unless you've buried your head in the sand of what we're dealing with around us in our world. And it's hard. It's not easy. And in some ways, it feels like God doesn't see but yet he does. And you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again for as long as I have breath to say it because we all need to be reminded of this truth. Nothing is wasted in Christ. God brings redemption in the midst of suffering. And he's the only one who can. We sing this here often, right? And it's scriptural. He turns mourning into dancing. He turns seas into highways. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns shame into glory. He turns bones into armies. He turns graves into gardens. And he is the only one who can do that. I know this. God's going to finish whatever he started in my life. God's going to finish whatever he started in your life. God's going to finish his purposes and accomplish what he wants to through his church. 
I love what we sang earlier this morning because when we go through difficulty and in the world and in the nation and in the church at large as we have in the last year and a half, I'm not talking about just our church, I'm talking about every church. We've lost people and people have died and people have left the church because of COVID. They left the church because of all other reasons, maybe as it relates to even racial justice and all kinds of things that we have talked about. All kinds of people all over the world are dealing with the same things. It's not just us. It's worldwide and in some cases nationwide. And if you're not willing to suffer, if you're not willing to not be popular, if you're not willing to have something that looks weak and marginalized and not exciting and big, then you're not willing to follow Jesus. You're not. I don't see that anywhere in here. And here's what I would know. Wherever you find yourself today, the Father hasn't left you alone in it. He feels what you feel. He weeps when you weep. He sees everything that is going on. And I know you're becoming more like Christ. That's what I know. I know I'm becoming more like Jesus. The good God is doing in your life may not be better circumstances, but it will be a better you. One that looks more like Christ. That painful chapter in your marriage, that betrayal at work from a friend, that chronic illness, that uncomfortableness that just doesn't go away, all of it and more can be redeemed for God's purpose to make you more like Jesus and bring glory to his name. And finally, I don't want to minimize the pain or the current situation you may find yourself in, but I do want to remind you of the hope that we have in Christ. Paul calls it this. He says, all of the suffering that we go through here is light and momentary affliction compared to the glorious riches that await us in heaven. And that is not to minimize the real hurt and the real pain and the real suffering and the real aloneness and all of the things that you might feel right now, but it is to give you hope today Hope for a day when suffering and pain and guilt and shame and all of that will be swallowed up by something that the Bible tells us is far greater. You may not see it in this life, but not a single second of your suffering is wasted. Not one thing happens in your life that the goodness of our God will not one day transform into glory. That's amazing and the story of Hagar is just the first in a long line of stories of God seeing unseen people particularly in this case unseen women that are on the margins of society and bringing redemptive purpose to their lives you could go through it whether it's Tamar or Rahab or Ruth or the Samaritan woman in, in John 4 just to name a few but it's also a story of God using any of us if we're willing to surrender to his will for our lives even suffering on his behalf. After Eve, Hagar is the second mother in the Bible to receive a word from God about God's purposes for her child. Sarah had a similar encounter with God in Genesis 18. In each of these cases and in others throughout the Old Testament, we find these promises given to unlikely women who are in a hopeless situation. This, of course, points to another unlikely mother who bore a special child under extremely difficult circumstances. Mary, the mother of Jesus, because God, it seems, prefers to accomplish his redemptive purposes through the weak, 
and the marginalized, even forgotten mothers and undervalued babies. Why? Because this reveals something about the character of God. He is a God of compassion. The God who sees those whom the world has forgotten. That the world has undervalued. He is con- the world has considered weak or helpless. The birth and the life and the death of Jesus shows us the same exact story as well. God in full array. Consider how lowly and weak Jesus came to earth. Consider Jesus' ministry, particularly to those who were marginalized. Think about Jesus' death where the Father father hid his face from the son on the cross so the father hid his face from the son so that all of us could experience God's compassionate gaze and know the God who sees us personally see the story of Hagar and Ishmael was an early preview of what was to come in Jesus Christ for all who would see him the God who sees us as savior and lord and in Christ we could find hope in the story of Hagar and Ishmael And know that God sees us when no one else does. That he does in our life what no one else can. He acts towards us with compassion. And he gives your life a redemptive purpose. Church, in focus church, God has a redemptive purpose for our lives. He's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And even in the midst of difficulty and suffering, he sees us. And he's asking us to see him, to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame, so that what, today we could give him glory even in the midst of the most troubling difficulty that we go through. Because he's going to get glory for it if we will just serve him and love him through it. Let's pray right now. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.